We're blessed today to continue in the study through God's Word. We're going to be in uh, 1 John chapter 2, if you want to open your Bibles there. 1 John chapter 2. As we continue in our study through the the book of 1 John. Perhaps you're familiar with the story back uh, in the 60s during the space race. Uh, As the story goes, um, NASA spent millions of dollars to design a pen that would work in the vacuum of space. Uh, And it was a technological marvel. It's actually still being used today in outer space. But meanwhile, it's reported that while these millions of dollars were being spent to develop this pen, uh, the Russians simply used a five-cent pencil. Uh, It is a true story. Um, In fairness, the story isn't exactly true in that way. It did cost millions of dollars to develop the pen, uh, but NASA didn't uh, spend that money. It was developed by a, a, uh, a private entrepreneur, a guy by the name of Paul Fisher, who spent millions of dollars to develop this pen, thought that you know, he could market it with the idea that you know, this is a space-age pen and so on. Didn't have nearly the success that he thought it would have commercially. But nevertheless, the story, the story serves as an example for us about how we can complicate things that don't need to be complicated. Right, And I think that there's, there's nowhere that this idea, this principle, that we can complicate things that don't need to be so complicated, I think there's nowhere that this can be uh, so true as perhaps in our relationships. Would you agree with me? Relationships, they don't have to be complicated, but they can be really complicated. Some of you here today, you're like, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir. I know, I've got a complicated relationship. Um, you know, Facebook, we've even got a setting for complicated relationships, right? Relationship status, it's complicated, right? Brenda and I, we, uh, we have some friends and they have a 12-year-old son. He recently got on Facebook and uh, he, befri- he sent us a friend request. Yeah, sure. So we go on his Facebook and there is his relationship status. It's complicated. I'm like, you're 12 years old. How complicated can it be? But it's something we all identify with. Relationships, they, uh, they can be complicated. Now, if you're just joining us, we're in a series. We're going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to uh, be here for probably for another month or so. And for the past three weeks, we've been looking at relationships. What we saw in chapter 1 is that the, the natural result of our relationship with God is that we have joy. Uh, Then here in chapter 2, we began with the idea that our relationship with God is qualified by our actions. In other words, if we say we love God, but we walk in darkness, then we're a liar, and the truth of God isn't in us. Last week, we looked at this idea of relationship with God uh, in the sense that our relationship with God should be reflected in our relationship with others. Uh, In other words, um, you know, if... uh, (laughs) If we love God and we hate our brother, then there is a problem. There's a disconnect. Our relationship with God uh, is not healthy if our relationship with our brothers and sisters is not healthy. Next week, as uh, we move forward, we're going to look at our relationship with God and how it purifies our motives. 
uh, and we're going to see that uh, how our true relationship with God will inevitably result in a new value system in our life. But before we move ahead on that, we need to tie up a few loose ends from our message from last week. We need to take a closer look at how our relationship with God purifies our relationship with one another. Uh, I direct your attention to uh, 1 John chapter 2, uh, and uh, we're going to review again verses 9 through 11. The Apostle John, writing this epistle, uh, says this, beginning in verse 9, he says, He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. We saw that that word last week, it's scandalon, it's the trigger on a trap. And if you love your brother, you're not going to set a trap. You're not going to entrap him or her into you know, some sort of a stumbling, into some sort of a, uh, a compromise in the relationship with you and with the Lord. But you're going to be mindful of how you can care for them and bring them along and so on. He continues, verse 11, But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now I'll share with you a verse from, uh, from uh, James uh, chapter 3, verse 2, where he says this. He says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. Loose translation, here's what that means, that there is a truckload of things that we do that damage our relationships. There's just an ocean of things, and we're all guilty of them. You do them, I do them. There's things that we do as sinful human beings that damage our relationship. It's inevitable. We stumble in many ways, and if you don't stumble, you're perfect. And is anybody perfect? No. So we all stumble in many ways. We all cause our brothers to stumble. That word scandal on that we just reviewed. We all do that because we're sinners. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things that we shouldn't do. And, and now there's offense. Now there's a rift. Now there's a damage in our relationship. So what do we do at this point? Well, the truth is, more often than not, we trash the relationship, right? Right? Those of you that are on Facebook, you're familiar with this. Unfriend. They unfriend you, you know. I've got a family member who's famous for unfriending everybody, you know. You're unfriend. You're out. You're shunned. Shun on, you know. And it, and, and it happens. We go through this. It's like, come on, I'm unfriended again? Really? For that? You know. And we do this. And, and there's just this thing that happens. You guys know it. And, and, and so there's, there's, this, there's this demon spirit of unfriending that goes on in our lives. And, and so it's, you know, that relationship's damaged. I'll just dispose of it. And it's easier for me to throw it away than it is for me to work through it. And, you know, we laugh about it, but this is why one in two marriages ends in divorce. This is why churches have splits. This is why friendships end. And so we need to understand that relationships are really important to the Lord, right? Relationships are so important to the Lord. Well, the most often quoted scripture, the one that everybody knows, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so treasures a relationship with us that he gave his only begotten son to die for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My favorite verse of all the, all the entire Bible. God values relationships. So we need to understand that. Hey, listen, God places a high premium on relationships, so what do you and me need to do? We need to place a high premium on relationship as well. Now, we understand, just as uh, you know, we looked at last week, that the, the Lord told us, listen, you need to, to love God. That's the highest premium. That's the highest relationship. And you need to love one another. Jesus said that it was on these two laws that, uh, that hung all the, the law and the prophets. In other words, the 66 books of the Bible are all summed up in those two commands. Love God and love others. And so this is important. Now, let me say this. That not only has God placed a high premium on the fact that he would reconcile us to himself, and the Bible speaks a lot about that, but the Bible gives to us a very simple and yet effective process of uh, being reconciled to one another. God knowing that we're not perfect, that we're all sinners, that we're all going to fall short of his glory. And, and hey, by the way, that means that you're going to make each other mad. God knows that. And so he's filled in his word a very precise way that we can be reconciled to one another. And this is what we're going to focus on today exclusively. We're going to talk about this issue of What does it mean when I'm hating my brother? And how can we follow God's plan to be reconciled? And let me tell you why this is so important, okay? Because there are many of you here right now who have relationships that aren't right. And you know what I'm talking about. Right now, you've got a relationship. Maybe it's with a sister, maybe it's with a brother, maybe it's with a, a friend or, or, or an employer or, or whoever it is. Man, maybe it's with me. I don't know. But, but maybe, are we okay, hon? We're okay. So, uh, but seriously, there are those of you that are here today and you've got a relationship that is not right. And I would say to you that God's heart And his will for you is that you'd be able to get past that, that you'd be able to work through it. And the way to work through it isn't to say, I'm unfriending them. It isn't to say, I'm done with them, I'm going to toss that relationship out, I'm going to throw them away. That's not the way. God wants you to work, as far as it concerns you, to be at peace with all mankind, to work on reconciliation. Because here's the thing, listen, if you don't get a handle on this, you're never going to move past it. You're going to be hindered and handcuffed in your development and in your growth in the Lord. So, super important thing. And I'll just say this as well. That um, as a pastor doing a lot of counseling, I'll tell you that this issue of forgiveness, it's probably one of the top two issues that I deal with in counseling. Issues of, of bitterness and unforgiveness. And then, so if we can get a handle on this, this will free you up in your relationship with the Lord. So I pray, you know, you, you got a pen, or uh, if you're Russian, if you got a sharp pencil, uh, and you can take some notes here today. Um, let's get into this. First step, we looked at this last week. Um, it's centered upon this commandment to love, right? 
God loves us, we're commanded to love one another. Back up to verse 7, John says this. He says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And then he goes on, verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Again, you know, John's saying, look, we've got the commandment to love. It's important. Jesus said the, the most important commandment, love God. Next most important commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, on these two commandments, the entire Bible, this is, this is the whole idea. This isn't anything old, uh, or, you know, or rather this isn't anything new. This is old. This has been there from the beginning. This is what we've got to do. Here's the new part about it. He says that you need to love even as God in Christ has loved you. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's the newness of it. Hey, God loves you so much that he died sacrificially when you didn't deserve it. And so the whole idea here is, look, we need to love one another the way that God loved us. That means when you don't deserve it. So there needs to be this idea of, hey, we have this commandment to love. Now, the very first step then in being reconciled to somebody when you're at odds with them is this. And if you're a note taker, write it down. It's the first point. Reaffirm the relationship. We need to reaffirm the relationship. Not throw out the relationship, but we need to reaffirm the relationship. Because here's the thing. Your relationship's more important to God than the fight that you're having. The issue that is so important to you right now, which, by the way, in a year, it's probably not going to be. It's a little piece of wisdom there. Five years, it's probably not going to be. We need to reaffirm the relationship. Now, let me help illustrate that with a story. From time to time, my wife and I will have an argument. I know, it's hard to believe. Pray for her, you know? So, but from time to time, well, I'm so glad you don't get a pulpit up here. <laughs> From time to time, we'll have, a, we'll have an argument. And, you know, sometimes the arguments don't come at a convenient time. It's, it's late at night, it's time for bed, and, and you're not right, you know? And so, you know, what do we do at that point? Well, I'm going to have you turn here. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Now, a lot of these verses I could just quote to you, but I want you to actually have them marked in your Bible. I want you to get used to kind of going here because this is important as we talk about relationship and reaffirming the relationship being the first point. Ephesians 4.26 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I still hear a few pages turning, so let me read it again for those of you just getting there. Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, what's the word? Wrath. Interesting, it's not don't let the sun go down on your anger. And, and sometimes we confuse this. It's like, oh, wait a minute, we can't go to bed until we have everything all worked out. That's not practical. I just tell you, I've been married 25 years, going on 26. That ain't, that ain't going to happen. You know, you're not gonna, it's not like a sitcom where everything gets all night and nice and tidied up by the end of the show. You know, you start off with a conflict and then everything's all worked out and everybody's it, it, life doesn't work that way. And sometimes, you know, it's time to go to bed and you're still mad. And the issue isn't resolved. Well, thank God this verse doesn't tell us don't let the sun go down on your anger. 
Because you're still going to have issues that you're still angry about when it comes time to go to bed. No, what it says is, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, okay? Here's what this means. Let me just tell you what it looks like in practical terms. In those situations when, you know, Brenda and I have been at odds with one another and now it's time to go to bed, what we will do is we'll say, all right, look, it's time to go to bed. We got to talk about this tomorrow. But right now, we're going to reaffirm the relationship. You're my wife. I'm your husband. I love you. I'm, you know, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. We're going to work through this. So we're just, right now, we're not going to let the sun go down on our wrath. We're just going to reaffirm the relationship. We love one another. Good night. We'll talk again tomorrow. And of course, you got to talk again about it tomorrow. Sometimes we get through that and we're like, okay, that's over with. Let's sweep that under the rug and not deal with it. No, you got to be faithful to talk about it tomorrow. But, But here's what happens. When you do that, you're reaffirming the relationship. And this is so important when we're at odds, just to be able to say, you know, you go through an issue. And you're divided, and maybe, you know, it's a family situation, and, and here's, here's what should come out of your mouth. What should come out of your mouth is to say this, hey, listen, you know what? We're family. We'll get through this. We're going to work through this. You reaffirm the relationship. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not discarding this thing. We're friends. We've been, through, we've been through too much together. We'll get through this. I don't know, I don't know what it's going to take or how long it's going to take, but I'm reaffirming the relationship right up front because this relationship is more important to God than the thing that has us divided. And so you just have that attitude, that resolve in your heart to say, you know what, I am commanded to love. And we're, love is going to see us through this. And so we're reaffirming this situation. It's kind of like the movie Apollo 13. Failure is not an option. You're like, okay, this, this failure is not an option. We're going to work through this. So, Let me show you why this is so important. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 21 there, starting there. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. We'll read verses 21 through 24. It goes this way. Jesus speaking, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now what I want you to do is notice the progression here that Jesus cites. Uh, first of all, he says, he says uh, whoever is angry with his brother, and then he progresses, and then he says, whoever says to his brother, Raka, Uh, and then he goes forward and says, but whoever says, you fool. See, there's a progression there. See, that, 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 uh, that word, angry, uh, basically what it means is this, if you're a note taker, it means to take offense, okay? Take offense, we'll come back to that. That word raka, again, if you're a note taker, literally it means empty-headed, okay? Uh, and the word fool, uh, this is a, a, a term that calls their character into question, all right? So here's what happens in our conflicts with one another. Something happens, 
and we take offense, okay? We become angry. And when we take that offense and we become angry, if, if we don't deal with it and we let it percolate in our head and in our heart, what happens is we usually progress to the next step. Now, this term, raka, meaning empty-headed, what is this? Well, this is lashing out. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. All right? And, and so what happens is we, now we name-call. And so we say, oh, you, you moron, you, you're so stupid, you're empty-headed. That's the, that's the whole idea here, all right? So we lash out with this thing. Now, fool, what happens is this is the, the next progression. I've taken an offense, I've lashed out, and now I'm, I've taken a walk with this thing, and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to call now your motive into question. That's really what it's about. When I say you fool, in fact, what I've done is I've, I've gone from saying that you're empty-headed, that you, that you weren't thinking. Now what I'm doing is I'm saying, no, they were thinking. They, they just, they, you know, they're, they just, their thought process is messed up. Their, their motives are messed up. And so that's kind of what happens here. You see this progression. So pretty soon what happens is, Jesus says, we commit murder in our heart. You might not go out and get the gun and put the bullets in there and take them out, but you've done so through this process. You've taken an offense, you've, you've lashed out in anger in response, and now you've called their motives into question. And I don't know about you, but this is one of the things that drives me crazy when you get into a conflict with somebody, when your motives are called into question. When somebody says so authoritatively, you were thinking this, or you did that because of this. They're, they're calling your motives into question. And for me, that's one of the things that is, is so hurtful in an argument. Because it's like, well, are you God? Do you know my motives? Did you know where I was coming from? And you're, you know, the, 1 Corinthians 13 says that love believes all things. You're going to call my motives into question. You're not believing all things. What you're choosing to believe is the worst about me. And that's, that's poison to a relationship. And so, again, the first step, we have to reaffirm the relationship. The, the, the next step that we see in the progression here is we have to release those things that are going to cause anger. Instead, in, in other words, instead of taking up an offense, we need to let it go. We need to release. You know, that's the best thing to do to short-circuit a, a, a conflict, to be able to say, okay, I can get angry about that or I can just let it go. Put it in, in a practical term. And I know my wife's going to be reminding me of this probably before the day is out. You're driving down the road, and somebody cuts you off. Now, you can take an offense and get angry, or, hey, here's something that's probably going to do your blood pressure some good. Let it go. There you go, man. Done. Over with. You're in a situation with your spouse, and, and they say something that, that maybe is hurtful, and you could take an offense, and we could be off the races. Or maybe you could just go, you know what, I'm going to put myself in their shoes. And they're tired. They don't feel well. Whatever the case may be. And, and instead of taking an offense, if we can just let it go, then that short circuits the conflict right out the gate. Here's the next point. Now, so we reaffirm the relationship. We release. We let it go. Next thing here is don't react. You know, Jesus talking about this guy lashing out, calling this guy a raka or empty-headed or you moron. Now, I, guys, I, I just ask you. If you call your wife a moron, does that help with the argument? 
Does that, does that diffuse things? Is that, are you guys, you know, going to be enjoying a nice cuddle time anytime soon? <laughs> it doesn't work. It's not going to help. So, so, the, so not only do we reaffirm the relationship and we re- release, we don't take the offense, but even if you have taken the offense, can you, hey, don't react, man. Some of us are reactors. I'm a reactor, you know, trigger. That's my nickname. And I got in the fire department because I react. I go off. You make me mad. It's like, why are you doing that for and it's, it's not a good witness, and it's not, you know, it's not a good way to, to, to make friends and influence people. So don't reaffirm, don't release, don't react. Here's the next thing. Resist the urge, resist the urge to pass judgment. You know, something happens, and, you know, you've become angry, you've you started to react, and now you start passing judgment. Well, you know what, they're just... They did that because they want this. Or you start going to motive and you start putting yourself in a position that really you don't belong in. It's God's position. It's his prerogative to judge our thoughts and our intents. It's not your prerogative to go to judge somebody else's motives. Now, you might have, be somebody of great discernment and be able to, to you know, be pretty accurate in saying, you know what, I'm pretty confident in what their motive was. But you know what? Don't do that. Resist that urge to judge a person's motives. And the the final thing that the Lord says here is, hey, go and be reconciled. Again, verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Here's the context of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're coming to the Lord, and, and your, that, that, that song, Lord, I give you my heart, you know, comes to my mind. Lord, I give you my heart, you know, I give you my soul, you know, and you're coming to the Lord to give that offering. And the Holy Spirit says, really? Cause, uh, cause you, you, you ain't right with your friend over here. And God says that that relationship is so important to him that you need to leave that. You need to leave that offering of, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live my life for you. Every moment I'm awake, whatever however the verse goes, you know, I, I, Lord, have your way in me. He's like, all right, here's how I'm going to have my way in you. Go and be reconciled. See, the relationship is that important to him. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Uh, and I'm not judging your motives. I just know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Because you, you read there in verse 23, if your brother has something against you. And so you would say right now, because you're angry with them, you would say, all right, so the person who did the wrong has to go to the other person, right? Well, yeah, that's the context here. Okay, great. So the guy who wronged me can rot in Hades until he comes and, and makes it right with me, right? No, <laughs> that's not right. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 15. Jesus speaking. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So, you know, here's the idea. God has 
put into his word this redundant system, this backup system, if you will. And the reason he has is because the relationship is more important to God than whatever it will be that divides you. Okay, and I, I, I continue repeating that because we're deceived by the enemy to think that the thing that I'm angry about is the most important thing. It's not the most important thing. Your relationship is the most important thing. And so God has put in his word this redundancy, this backup system that says, all right, if your brother has sinned against you, he has a responsibility to come to you. But if your brother has sinned against you, you also have the responsibility to go to your brother. Conversely, if you have sinned against your brother, you have the biblical mandate to go to your brother and to be reconciled. But he also has the biblical mandate to come to you and be reconciled. You see, so many times we get into a fight and and there's a situation and we say, well, you know what? He's got to come to me because he did it, man. That's not my deal. He's got to come to me. He's got to be made right with me. Any of you guys watch uh, 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 Chopper, the the show with the Tuttles? I forget even what it's called. American Chopper. Right? If you, if you follow it, uh, which I do, I think it's cool. But the season right now is senior versus junior. Because, because for so many seasons, you know, the father and the son would yell and banter at each other, made for good television. Well, finally, what happened was the, the relationship is fractured. Now, what's happened is Junior's gone out, he started his own company, and Senior and Junior are battling it out in court for the, the ownership shares of the, of the, the Orange County Chopper, the, the senior's business. And so here's father and son totally at, 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 at each other's throats. It's so bad, dad didn't even go to his son's wedding. He wouldn't even go to his own son's wedding because they're fighting. And it's so sad, you watch, and each side is saying, you know, well, you know, he's the only one that can do anything about this. And, and well, I, I, they got to come to me. You know, and, and so you see him just going back and forth, and you're like, oh, God, I, I, you know. And you just, you just sit back, and me as a father, I would just love to be able to take this guy aside and go, dude, trust me, on your deathbed, none of this crap's going to matter. And yeah, I said it. It's, it's, it's all just, a, a, it's not going to matter. What's going to matter is your relationship with your son. And, and, Bro, you're going to go to your grave with just sorrow and pain and anguish. And guys, can I tell you right now, that's not too far from home for some of you. I mean, really, for some of you right now, you got a situation, and I would just tell you, you know, I was a paramedic for a long time. Can I just tell you that the people who, who you know, who bought the farm, they not, not very many of them knew it was coming. You know, life is short. The Bible says it's a vapor. It's something that's here for a little while, and then it's gone. And, and none of us knows how long we got. And we got this, this thing that the Lord has given to us. It basically says, I, I don't care who's wrong to. I don't care if you did it. I don't care if they did it. I'm going to make you both responsible to make it right. 
Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. This is the idea behind the Lord covering both sides. He basically says, hey, two are better than one. And and I'm going to make it both of your responsibilities so that, that hopefully someone takes the initiative to go make the relationship right. Romans 12, 17 and 18 says this, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so you just, you know, yeah, okay, so... Maybe you do make the effort. Maybe you do reach out. Maybe you do try to make it right with the person that you're at odds with. And and maybe they don't reciprocate. But the Lord would say, hey, when the day comes for you to stand before the Lord, you want to be able to say, Lord, as far as it depended on me, I did what I could. I tried to make this relationship right. Now, I want you to notice something else here in the sense of going to the other person um, he, Jesus says at the end of verse 15, if your brother hears you, you've gained your brother. And, and what, what I want you to get there is, is the heart behind it. The heart behind going to your brother in this scripture is reconciliation. See, a lot of times people read this verse in, in, in chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Okay, if your brother sinned against you, you go to your brother. And, uh, and then they, you know, verse 16, if he won't hear you, take one or two more with you. We're going to read verse 17, which talks about how this, this discipline process escalates. And a lot of people see this as, oh, Matthew chapter 18, your brother sins against you. Load your guns and go to your brother and take him out. You know, you sinned against me. Bang. You know, I, I shouldn't make light of that because some people handle their, their problems that way. That's not the point. That's not the heart's attitude. The heart's attitude is reconciliation. That's what Jesus is saying here. Hey, you want to gain your brother. So you want to go to them, which means, guys, we need to go to, to our brothers in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says this, a, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so we need to be able to go to our brother uh, seeking reconciliation with, with a, a soft answer. Now, I understand and I know. I'm not, I'm not like Pollyanna. If you've seen the movie Pollyanna, I'm not taking a Pollyanna approach to this. I understand that some people you can't be reconciled with. I get that. Uh, Jesus continues in verse 17. He says, if he re- you've gone to him, he didn't receive it. You took another witness with you, he didn't receive it. Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. What does that mean? Well, a heathen and a tax collector are those people that are not, you know, Christians. They're not people that are walking in the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so how do we how are we supposed to, what does the Bible tell us that we're supposed to do with those that are, are walking a life of unbelief? Well, it says we're supposed to love them, right? You just don't have fellowship with them. The Bible says, be not deceived, bad company corrupts good character. And I, I do understand that there are some people that maybe you're divided with right now that you can't have fellowship with. 
you know, maybe there's somebody uh, who has been profoundly abusive to you. And I, I am well aware of, of the evil that exists in this world. I know that. And I know that there's some people that, that you, you cannot be around. There's some people you have to put some protective measures in your life. There are some, I mean, I've, I've driven people down to the courthouse to get restraining orders. I understand the life that we live and how people can be violent. I understand how they can be uh, abusive. And I understand the abuses that take place. Trust me, I, I wish I didn't. So I know that there are some people that, hey, you can take your best efforts and you should to pursue some reconciliation. But if a person is not repentive, if they're not willing to own their part in this and to make some changes on their part, I understand that there are instances where it's right and appropriate for you to limit your contact with them, to to cut off contact with them. And I Again, the heart here, especially as it pertains to a believer, is that by turning that person over to Satan, that the enemy is going to have his way in their life. If you cut off the fellowship with them, then what's going to happen is being out in the world for a time, and they're going to go through the spin cycle a few times of Satan's washing machine, and they're going to come to the place where they're going to recognize, I blew it. And that's the hope, is that, okay, nothing else has worked, so the lack of fellowship is what you need. I was counseling with with a gal. She had her son living at home, teenage son. Her husband was was gone out of the picture, just this mom. Her son, her son had no respect for her. And he was going out drinking and partying with his friends on a regular basis. And she came to me at her wit's end, and I've talked to him, I've I've gone to him, I've, you know, got his uncle, tried to talk to him. What, What do we do at this point? I said, kick his butt out of the house. He's at, just kick him out. And this mom, just, oh, you know, she's just everything. She still made breakfast for the kid and all this stuff. You know, not that he ever really got up to eat it. I mean, he's sleeping off his hangovers and all this stuff. I'm like, throw the, throw the kid out. Because he's not responding to, and you, to your, your correction here. He's not doing you, he's not, he's not doing what you're telling him to do. And she's like, well, oh my gosh, what'll ha- it'll be so hard for him. I said, you're good, you're hoping it's going to be hard for him because you, what you want to have happen is that he comes back to you with a repentive heart. And, th- and that's the whole idea here is that, okay, we need to go to the person and we need to, to hopefully have a reconciliation. But at some point, sometimes you have to say, all right, that's it. We can't have fellowship. Now, having said that, cutting off fellowship with a person doesn't mean that you don't still have to forgive them. Because you do. Turn to, uh, to Mark chapter 11. We're going to conclude here. Mark chapter 11. Look at verse 25. Again, Jesus speaking. Jesus says this, Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Do you see the word anything there? You know what that word means in the Greek? Anything. Do you see the word anyone? What do you suppose that one means? The original language. Anyone. It means anyone. 
You're not talking about my uncle who abused me when I was a child. Yeah. You're not talking about that drunk driver who killed my nephew. Yeah. Jesus says when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. We're called to forgive. And you guys know it. You're aware of it. I <clears throat> made reference to it on a number of occasions. Jesus telling a parable. That a very wealthy king had somebody owe him an, an exorbitant amount of money. He was going to throw him in prison. The guy begged him, please, let me repay you. He couldn't repay him. The debt was more than the guy would make in two, three lifetimes. But he asked this king for forgiveness, and the king gave it to him and canceled his debt. And the man promptly went out, ran into a guy that owed him the equivalent of a couple of days' worth of wages, and that guy begged him to have mercy on him, give him time to, to repay him, and he refused. He's like, forget it, you're going into prison. And Jesus, as he's telling that parable, he basically said, word got back to the king, and the king told that guy, you know what? Now you go to prison. And you don't get out until you pay the last penny. We've been forgiven so much. And we live our lives in such a way that we conveniently forget all that the Lord has forgiven us for. We want to hold it against our brothers and we want to be unforgiving. And the Lord says, you can't do that. And you've got to get this, Christian. If you can understand all that the Lord has forgiven you of, then you're called yourself to forget. You may not be able to go have Christmas dinner with a person. Circumstances might not allow for you to be able to, you know, enjoy fellowship. But you can choose from obedience to forgive that person. And even if the prayer in the beginning starts off this, Lord, I'm, I hate that person, but you call me to forgive them. And so I do by obedience, Lord God, help me. And even if you have to pray that prayer numerous times a day, God, I hate them with everything that I can, but I, I'm, I'm, help me to let go of that because you call me to forgive them. That's what we're called to do. And I understand this is a struggle. Some of you have been profoundly wrong. I would call to your remembrance, Romans twelve nineteen says this, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And so sometimes you've got to turn a person over just saying, you know what? What they have done is horrible. And I can rest in the fact that, that God is a righteous, sovereign judge and that he'll deal with them. Because if you don't do that, what happens? Well, it's been said that if you hold on to anger and bitterness, it's like drinking poison to get even with your enemy. It's only going to damage you. It's only going to destroy you. It's going to interfere with your relationship with God. It's going to interfere with your relationship with other people. God wants to set you free from all of that stuff. And it's indeed possible. One other thought, just this verse in Mark 11.25. 
a final example and we'll conclude. When Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. You know, for some of you, you might need to forgive yourself. Some of you have, have done things that you're ashamed of. And you need to understand that God's forgiveness, it even covers that. I'll talk to women who've gone through an abortion or, or something in, you know, similar choices in their life. And they can't bring themselves to a place where they can, they can enter into the Lord's forgiveness. And I would say to you, if you have been through that, that the Lord stands ready to forgive you and that you need to receive that. Yes, we're called to go and sin no more. And if you're involved in a lifestyle that led to that, then you can't just, you know, wink, wink, and he's not just the God that's going to cover everything over. We need to make choices to walk in obedience to the Lord. But, but hey, listen, having done that, if you're still beating yourself up over that decision, you need to receive the Lord's forgiveness yourself. It's complete. It's total. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he casts our sins from us. Maybe that's you and you need to receive that. I close with this analogy. In, in the 14th century, Robert Bruce of Scotland was leading his men in battle to gain independence from England. And near the end of the conflict, and they had been rather successful, and the English wanted to capture him and to put an end to this rebellion to keep him from the Scottish crown. And so what they did is they took his own bloodhounds and they put, it, put his own bloodhounds on the trail of Robert Bruce trying to, to catch him. And of course, his bloodhounds knew his scent more than anybody else. And they were quickly on his tail. And as they were closing in and the bane of the dogs was there, the guy that was with Robert Bruce said, it's over with, they're going to catch you. And he said, no, it's not. And he jumped into a stream and he went quickly moved upstream, staying in the stream for a long period of time. And he finally emerged on the other side into a deep woods. And when the bloodhounds came to the edge of that stream, his scent was broken. And they couldn't follow him. They couldn't find him. They couldn't pursue him. And a short time later, the crown of Scotland rested on the head of Robert Bruce. You know, when we hold on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness... We can be like those baying dogs. But we need to understand that there is a stream that flows. And the stream is red with the blood of God's own Son. And that that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And as we partake of communion today, we need to remember that this bread represents the Lord's body which was broken for us. And the juice represents His blood which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we come to the communion table, we are, we are celebrating and saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have forgiven me for, and that I can have fellowship with you. This is a great opportunity for us to say, Lord, the same forgiveness that you extend to me, I will extend to others. And as I said last week, maybe for some of you, as we pray and as we go into a time of communion, maybe, maybe you need to leave this offering and go first and be reconciled before you can partake of communion. And if that's you, I would say, go do that. We got another service 
In 45 minutes, you come back here and take communion after that. Go make a phone call. Go drive over. Get right. Guys, God loves you too much to have your relationships not right. Amen?